If you've heard her with us before, you know why she's one of our favorites. And if you're just meeting her, well, you're about to find out. In addition to being a prolific author and an often requested speaker, Dr. Kathy Cook is the founder and president of Celebrate Kids. Well, this morning, we're going to revisit a conversation with Kathy to glean insights on how we can improve our communication with our kids. Kathy, welcome back to the conversation. I am so glad to be back with you. Thank you for having me. Would have you on every day? (laughs) If you you didn't have a day job, we would pull on you all the time. So just grateful whenever we get the opportunity. Obviously, we're continuing to be in crazy times. There are people who told us as a world, hey, things are not going to change anytime soon and maybe never. We have a new reality that may be around for a long time. That's so true. A lot of hard in it. Obviously, God's still God in the midst of it. There's hard into it as well. A lot of stress and strain on family and our kids. So a number of areas that we could talk about, Kathy, but a big one I want to talk about today is just conversation and relating with our kids. We're in a world that is filled with influences. And I think we always knew that, but like right now, (laughs) we feel it even more and numbers of influences that maybe we're not real excited about, but we can't escape and our kids can't escape it. But the big thing is, in the midst of all the things that they are and will be exposed to, what are they being exposed to at home in relationship with their own families? It's so important that we maintain a positive relationship with our kids so that we become a voice that they want to listen to because you're exactly right. There are lyrics on songs and there's dialogue on TV sitcoms and there's billboards and bumper stickers and chat rooms and social media and it's loud. It's a chaotic, loud, contradictory culture. So we need to make sure that we're ever present, you know, that we put our phones down, and we've talked about that before, that we lean in, that we walk toward our kids, that we respect them, and that they know that we care about the struggle and about the good days, and we want to talk about it all. So being present, of course, is a big start of that. And to pray. I mean, I've got some suggestions for the listeners, and I just got to say, you know, we've got to be people of prayer. And I don't, I don't mean that in a flippant, well, duh, I'm a believer. Hmm. No, we, we need to really pray that our kids would care what we think, that we would have wisdom in season and out, that we would accidentally be present when they're in the mood to talk. I think God honors that heart of the mom and the dad and the grandparent and the teacher and the pastor who wants to be a voice of reason for a kid. Pray that we would listen longer. Pray that we would listen without judgment. Pray that we would be led by the Spirit. Pray that our kids would be honest. I think we really have to make sure we do that because these are challenging times. Kathy, I remember when I was a youth worker for many years, several times I ran across different surveys and research projects that were done. They looked at the amount of time that parents spent in meaningful conversations with their kids. It was always shockingly low. (laughs) So most of the conversation was, what time are you going to school? What time would you be home? Clean up your room, take out the trash. I'm thinking it was like five minutes or less in meaningful Mm -hmm. conversations with kids. I want to encourage our listeners to thank children when they do come to us, to be honest. Thank you goes a far way. Thank you builds joy and trust and so much. And so when our children do come and say, hey, dad, could I ask you a question? Or 
mom, this thing happened at school, or dad, I was really confused by this history lesson. For us to say, man, thanks for trusting me with your heart. Thanks for caring about what I think, I think is huge. And I, I also want to recommend that we let the kids know that we're sad that they're confused. So if we have a child who is confused by all of the, the words that are in the culture, right? Like, is this right or is this wrong? You know, mom, you say this is right, but our neighbors don't do that. So how do you know that that's right? And for us to say, man, you know, Jessica, I'm sad you're confused. Because you know what, Stan, confusion isn't healthy. Confusion doesn't feel good. I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but I don't make the best decisions when I'm confused. Mm-hmm. So let's acknowledge that and let's say to our kids, man, thank you for trusting me and I'm sorry you're confused and let's talk. When we talk to the kids, tell them only what they need to know. I think it's huge. If you lecture every time they come to you, they're going to stop coming. Kind of treat it like when they were three and they wanted to know where babies come from. You didn't give them an OBGYN lesson <laughs> in the moment, you know. You gave them an answer that you knew would satisfy them because you predicted why the three-year-old was curious. So tell them only what they need to know. And also be courageous enough to say that you don't know when you don't know something. Mm-hmm. Don't make something up. Don't lie to save your esteem, if you will. But say to your sons and daughters, I can see why you're curious about that. Let's look that up or let's call Pastor Jake and find out what he might say about that. Don't ever be ashamed of admitting to your kids that you haven't thought of a question or you don't know something. Kathy, as we're talking about relating with our kids, being in relationship with our kids, having conversation, meaningful conversation with our kids. I know from the years I was working with youth and with parents, both in parachurch ministry and church ministry, that a lot of times I found that parents were kind of intimidated by their kids. They wondered if their kids even wanted to have a conversation with them. What kind of perspective would you give to a parent that really is a little bit intimidated about trying to sit down and have a conversation with their kids? I do understand that because they're living in a different world. They really are. Even if they're homeschooled, their world is different. And certainly if they go off to school, their world is different. And so maybe we even admit that. What I've loved to say to moms and dads who have admitted to me that they haven't leaned in enough, that they have stepped away, that they've, you know, put their head down into their own device and maybe their kids have felt like they didn't really care. It starts with an apology. For us to be privileged on the radio to maybe inspire someone to be courageous enough to go to a son or daughter and say, I was reminded this morning that I have let you down and I am really sorry that it has appeared that I don't care. And I'm not going to give you excuses. I'm overwhelmed and I'm busy. There's sometimes fear that enters into my spirit, but it doesn't matter. I've been wrong to not sit in the room with you and make you feel able to talk to me and and safe with me, would you please give me another chance? And let's talk about what we could each do differently and better so that our communication and our relationship is more solid. I think that's where it starts. And that's not easy. And no kid is going to go, oh, thanks, Dad. I needed to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) But we do what we know is right so that we can engage with them. Kathy, I'm picturing parents with young kids. They still are in that window where they can set the trajectory of connection and conversation with their kids. How would you kind of coach kind of newer parents, kids, you know, maybe five, six years mm-hmm. old, maybe seven, like they're, they're pretty young. How do we set the trajectory when kids are young so that it's just normal in our family that we connect, we talk, we have real conversation? I love that question because I teach that we need to start with their young so they'll come to us when they're older. I'll never forget an encounter with a 13-year-old boy. He had just turned 13, and he said to me in an event, I don't understand what happens when a kid turns 13. All of a sudden, my parents care. They're asking where I'm going. They're asking who will be there. They're asking when I'll be home. They didn't ask yesterday. 
what happened that I became a teenager, you know? So I think that for us to be, again, engaged and involved and to want to know our children's friends, to want to know why do they like that song, even to ask a seven-year-old, why do you like that TV show so much? And see if they can verbalize it for you. So to be present, to have conversations, like at the dinner table every night, to have a highlight and a low light. And mom and dad play the game as well. And dad's able to talk about, well, my low light was when I forgot that I had a report due to my supervisor at two. And he came to my office at 2.30 and I was embarrassed. I don't like it when I forget things. So we're vulnerable and we're transparent. And that same dad, the highlight was something else that went really well. So maybe that's something we do every night at the dinner table or at bedtime. Highlight, low light, sharing vulnerability and transparency and clapping for each other and teaching siblings to support each other with praise and with prayer when they've had a bad day. Those things, I think, can go far. Um, what I call a smush pile, take index cards and put you know, numbers on them, one through 10, and put them upside down in the middle of the kitchen table. Everybody in the family draws a card. And if you get a 10, you get to talk about 10 things that happened that day, which is really challenging for the quiet kid. And maybe Chatty Cathy gets a one and has to only, you know, share one thing. And, and that gives the more silent sibling a chance to, you know, be the center of attention for a minute. I mean, there are different creative ways that we can keep the conversation going. Kathy, as you think about parents that you can talk to or kids that you talk to about their parents, <laughs> what's something that we can tend to do as parents totally unintentionally like it was not obviously our intentions to shut down conversation connection with our kids but what would be one that would be fairly consistent or often shows up in families where parents are doing something unintentionally that's hurting their connection communication with their kids the first thing that comes to mind is that we immediately begin to interrogate them rather than letting them tell more of their story so when a child comes and says hey could i tell you what happened or where we say how was your day and they begin to talk and then because we do care, we begin to ask questions. Well, who else was in the room? Well, maybe who else was in the room is irrelevant to where your son or daughter was going to go in the story. So now you've hijacked and you're forcing your kid to tell you what you care about rather than what was relevant to the point that your child wanted to make. So one of my recommendations is that when a child, and this actually works with adults as well, when a child shares and then stops and they stop to breathe or they stop to kind of compose their next thought, we just listen longer. We're just quiet. Or we say something like, and, which invites more detail. Or we say, keep talking. It's like, well, what? What do you mean? Then you say, well, I just want to know more. Keep talking. Because here's the thing, the more that we know, the greater the likelihood of our comments being relevant. And now the first question we ask or the first statement we make is relevant to what was going on in your son or daughter's life that day, and now you're the hero. Now you are listening. So to listen longer, to listen with the intent to learn rather than to listen for your turn to talk is huge. Kathy, as we're talking about parents relating to their kids, having conversation with their kids, I can sit down with someone else's kids <laughs> and be very unemotionally involved with the conversation. No matter what they tell me, I can smile and engage and listen, and my demeanor won't change necessarily. I'm leaning in towards them. I'm not freaking out or panicking over what I just heard from them. Now, when it's your own kids, it's a little bit more challenging to do that. But I guess I'd love your thoughts on how important that is to be able to stay in a posture of non-reactiveness in the midst of our kids sharing some things with us. In the notes that I usually speak from when I do a talk about keeping the conversation alive in the home, the third thing I usually share is wear your parent face. 
Mm. Discover that you have this ability to never react. Mm. And you can practice in front of the mirror. It's just a stone <laughs> face. So no matter what they come to you with, you don't react. Because as soon as we react, we redirect their thought or we get them to stop talking altogether because we have this look of shock or alarm or fear or judgment that doesn't invite them to continue to engage with us. Mm. So I love the idea of a parent face. Just practice it. I often say to moms and dads who are quick to question and quick to interject, you know that idea I had a minute ago that you listen longer, Mm -hmm. sit there with your hand over your mouth. Put your hand over your mouth like a muzzle if you need to so that you remember it's about listening longer and not reacting too quickly. The love that you have for your kids is a beautiful thing, and it is going to cause you to react differently, and that's because, again, they're your kids, and so there's nothing you know inherently wrong with that. However, you're correct, Stan, that if we overreact, there are times that we're going to shut them down and we're not going to be able to really get to the heart of the matter. Kathy, as we're talking about connecting with our kids, having conversation, meaningful conversation with our kids, one thing that we found helpful was taking our kids out on dates. Any thoughts about that? Does that make sense? One-on-one time. It's it's pretty much the cure of sibling rivalry. Mm. So if somebody's listening and their kids are picking at each other and not supportive and they can't play nicely together, if you will, it's almost always because they feel like they're the one left out or they haven't had enough attention from the adults in the room. And so when you do the daddy and daughter date or you go miniature golfing with just one kid or go for a walk at the park with one kid, absolutely service project with one kid. It doesn't always have to be, you know, a Tuesday night dinner date necessarily, although that's very special. It is one-on-one time that matters. And, you know, sons will tell moms different things to what they would tell their dad. Daughters will talk about things differently with the dad and with the mom. So it's a chance, too, for you if you're married to then collaborate. Hey, what did you and Lisa talk about at dinner tonight? You have a more complete understanding of your kid, probably. That depends on a lot of factors, but that can often be true. So my goal was to take one of my kids out every week. That sounded good. Like, I know I never hit it three to four months in a row. Like, never did in all the years. But I stayed at it. And you know what? My kids don't remember the days I missed. But I hit it enough. It marked my kids. It marked my relationship with my kids. So just my encouragement to parents out there as well as we talk about these things is perfection isn't the standard. Like, if if it took perfection... All our kids would be in trouble from parental poor Mm -hmm. influence, right? But it's not about perfection. No, we have a chance to even model, I'm important to my dad, but a legitimate business conflict came up. Mm. Or I'm important to my mom. However, grandma's sick. That is how life works. And so you can even model in these desires to spend one-on-one time with your kids how the world works and how we say, I'm so sorry. And you accept that and you don't judge and feel like it was personal. It's the way the world works. And this happened along the way, too, that you look for. It's like there were some key times in my kids' life. There weren't a ton of them, but they were powerful moments when they really needed me. They needed a connection. Mm-hmm. I rearranged my schedule. I changed meetings. Uh, I canceled meetings for me to be able to be there for them in a pretty critical time. Those were game changers. Those were landmark moments in my relationship with my kids. Kathy, my understanding is there's a phrase that you discouraged parents to use. It's a phrase that I've probably used (laughs) some and probably lots of parents have used. So I'm super curious to hear kind of your thoughts around it. It is, in my opinion, 
Yes, we have used it. So again, no shame, no blame. Nobody <laughs> needs to feel badly about this. Uh, here's the thing. Um, it depends on you know what the issue is. It depends on the age of the kids. However, we do want our children to understand that in our home, it's the Word of God that is the mm. standard for our decision-making. If a kid comes to us and, you know, what about this or what about that? And we say, well, in my opinion, they were wrong. Now you're saying that you base your decisions on your opinion, and you're giving the kids permission to base their decision-making on their opinion. Hmm. And they don't have the same foundation of truth that would even result in a healthy opinion, perhaps. But what you and I are really doing is we're not basing our decisions on our opinion. We're using truth. We just don't maybe know in the moment that we are. But I think the phrase that's really powerful is, you know, in our family, it's the word of God that wins out over the cultural narrative. In our family, we trust God's word over our feelings, our desires, our opinions, or somebody else's opinions. So if a child comes to us and says, you know, Dad, why is it okay that that family does, you know, X, Y, Z, and we're not allowed to do that, then you can say, well, in our family, remember, it's God's word that our values are based on, and it's God's word that is true and truth. We can't hold our neighbors to a system they don't know anything about. We're not going to judge them. They don't even know that they're wrong. We're going to love them. In our family, this is the standard. In our family, God's word trumps it all. Mm-hmm. As we talk about that, obviously, and I know that you would say and do say, don't hit your kid over the head with the Bible. Like, don't, <laughs> Talk about the balance there. If we only use the Bible on a Sunday morning, and we only use select scripture to call our kids up short, that's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Are we using the Bible, you know, seven days a week, if you will? Are we studying it, meditating upon it, living it as a life letter? And I think verses like 1 Corinthians 13 that defines love, and things like Philippians 4, 8, where whatever's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, these are the things that we should think about. There are certain passages of Scripture that relate, I think, 24-7, 365, to the way that we are and to the beliefs and to the way that we communicate. Let's memorize those and let's use those for handwriting practice and let's make a poster in the den of those words and adjectives and nouns and verbs so that those become standards of the way that we communicate and the way that we live our life. But if we're constantly saying to our kids, what would God think of your decision? We don't want them to think God is just a judge. I mean, He is. He has a right to be, but he's so much more than that. He is love. Kathy, what would you see in a parent, if you saw a parent doing this in relationship with their kids, you'd go, oh, I got to give you a high five. That was like, good job. That's the way to go. You know what comes to mind, and I think I implied it, but didn't elaborate earlier, and that is that we really genuinely care about what our kids are doing and what they're into. We expect them to care about us, which is really pretty funny if you think about it. But, you know, do we understand why they love soccer? Do we understand why they think creative writing is the bomb? Do they understand why soccer is better than football or whatever? I think to really care about what they care about, to listen to their music with them, to walk toward them, I think is huge. Kathy, I so enjoyed our time today. And uh, before we end, I'd love for you to just give a final word of encouragement to parents. I know that they feel it. As parents, kids, as they leave your home, and I'm talking about for kindergarten, you know, for first grade, fifth grade, mm-hmm. seventh grade, eighth grade, we just progressively feel all the influences that are coming to bear on our kids. Would love just a word of hope and encouragement of a parent's ability to stand with their kids, for their kids, in the midst of the culture. You can do this. I just have to say, you know, you can do this. Let me remind everybody, God has ordained your family. God chose for you to be the parent to that child. And that's not an accident. God chooses 
who gets to parent who, whether it's through adoption, fostering, birth. You can do this. It's not about them being perfect and us being perfect. We are perfectly imperfect, created in the image of God, capable of so much more. We can do this. Start with humility and teachability. We can do this. Well, Dr. Kathy, once again, you have provided us with some great insight. We do thank you for spending the morning with us and helping us think about how to connect with our kids through these great conversations. You are welcome. Glad to be here.